Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Elsie Kennedy. Australia's Central National Environment Law, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, or EPBC Act, is undergoing a once-in-a-decade review that has the potential to shape policy for the next 10 years. At the moment, no one is happy with the EPBC Act. Conservation groups say successive governments haven't used it to protect threatened species, while industry argues the Act has delayed development and created green tape. So what is the EPBC Act? What's wrong with it? And what needs to change for it to actually protect the environment? I spoke to Green Senator and Gunai Bragwalung, Briakwalung, Jabwarung and Gunditjmara woman Lydia Thorpe, and Suzanne Milthorpe, who's the environment law campaigner at the Wilderness Society. First up, I asked Suzanne to explain what exactly the EPBC Act does. So the EPBC Act is our national environment law, and its job is to do what it says on the tin, that is, protect our environment and conserve Australia's globally unique and irreplaceable biodiversity. And it's especially meant to protect what are called matters of national environmental significance. So things like threatened species, migratory species across national borders, or things like world heritage. And the government is required to review the EPBC every 10 years to see if it's doing its job. So at the moment, we've got this once in a decade opportunity to look at why and how our national environment law is failing to do the job it was meant to do. Has it been successful in protecting threatened species? The short answer is no, and to be honest, the long answer is also no. Uh, Australia leads the world in extinction. So we're number one for mammal extinction and we're number four in the world for biodiversity loss overall. Um, Over the the life of the EPBC, four times as many vulnerable species have declined in their threat status, um, so they've become more endangered than have improved. So how could it be that a law that is designed to protect the environment is failing so badly? So the law is um, unfortunately a bit vague um, and the approach of the law itself is is actually more trying to be a handbrake on destruction rather than doing anything to be proactive. But it's also not enforced properly. So um, we're not only, we're not protecting existing habitat um, you know, think against things like deforestation. Um, we're not actually enforcing the laws, or the government is not enforcing the laws properly. Deep flaws in the EPBC Act were revealed in May, when the federal court ruled the Act had failed to stop Victoria's forestry agency, Vic Forests, from unlawfully logging habitat of the vulnerable Greater Glider and the critically endangered Leadbeater's Possum. The case was an example of a community group stepping up to provide the oversight that the Commonwealth was failing to provide over a state government. I asked Suzanne what the Leadbeater's Possum case revealed about the EPBC Act. Well, this case that the Friends of Leadbeater's Possum brought is a major case. It's almost, you could say it's almost the Franklin Dam of forest legal judgments. And it's really laid bare the staggering unsustainability of industrial native forest logging and the catastrophic failure of governments in stopping their own agencies from sending our wildlife extinct, include like including animals like the Leadbeater's Possum, which is, uh, is critically endangered. Um, it's 
as far as we can tell, it's uh, declining in numbers, which is remarkable considering that it's also Victoria's faunal emblem. So at the moment, you've got a, a crazy situation where the a, a state government, a Victorian state government agency is actually making the state's faunal emblem more endangered. Suzanne said one of the big issues with the EPBC Act is that there are entire industries that have been given exemptions to the Act. I asked her what those exemptions are and what impact they have. There are two major formal exemptions to the EPBC, so offshore oil and gas, and then obviously the the native forest logging, which is covered by these 10 what are called regional forest agreements or RFAs. We do know that for decades, state governments have exploited this exemption from national environment laws under the RFAs to keep logging native forests, to secure these unsustainable volumes of woods. And in doing so, this has really been pushing these forest dwelling species towards extinction. A quarter of all these forest dependent species like Leadbeater's possum or Greta glider have actually become more endangered. So they've been, they've had, they've been lifted to endangered or critically endangered since the RFAs were signed. Um, and 15 new species have actually been listed and threatened. So we really think there needs to be a new approach and there can't be any exemptions for these kind of inherently destructive industries from our national environment law. Because it'd be a bit like saying our financial regulation should apply to everyone, but like the major banks. It really has to apply to everyone. There's also the issue of offsets, which Suzanne says have been increasingly allowing companies to sidestep their environmental obligations. I think it's really clear that currently offsets are not working in Australia. I can't think of a single jurisdiction in which they work. They're essentially a fig leaf on destruction. And that's because the basic premise of offsets, as they're done now, is that say you have two forests, government says to someone, you know what, you can cut down this one forest as long as you save another one. Um, and that's the, the basic idea is that you're, you're offsetting destruction by protecting another area. But still in practicality, you've gone from two forests down to one. So you've lost all that habitat, you've lost all that carbon sink, you've lost all the biodiversity that was in that other forest. And the other way one of the, one of the other big reasons why offsets aren't working in Australia is because there's a lot of what I call double dipping. So people reuse a single offset again and again and again to offset lots of different bits of destruction. And so that is almost like you say you've got five forests, what you say to someone is you can knock down four of them. And what you do is each time you knock down a forest, you say, well, I'm gonna protect it by offsetting it with this one forest. And then I'm gonna offset it with the same forest and the same forest. So what you end up is you actually lose four forests for every one that gets protected. For Lydia Thorpe, One of the biggest issues with the EPBC Act is that it doesn't require the government to consult Indigenous people or consider Indigenous knowledge when they're making a decision about the environment. We are the tokenistic ticker box gesture on the government forms. So we are only used when it is convenient for government to get that box ticked. So we need to change that. Um, We need to be at the table and no decision should be made without us. Graham Samuel, the former head of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, has been reviewing the EPBC Act since October last year and he's just released his interim report. The report used really strong language to say the EPBC Act is failing to protect our environment. Here's what he had to say. What I heard consistently right across the board was this, is that the 
The environmental trajectory is unsustainable. There is high community concern, low transparency, low trust in the Act to deliver good environmental outcomes. There's low trust in the capability of states and territories to effectively administer environment protection. Uh, and there is poor Indigenous engagement. Um, it's engagement that is based on uh, tokenism, on representation, on symbolism, rather than truly taking account of um, Indigenous culture and, importantly, Indigenous science. Graham Samuel has proposed a number of changes that he recommends the government adopt. Number one, he wants a new set of what he calls national environment standards that need to be really specific. Number two, he says the government needs to set up what he called an independent cop on the beat to enforce those standards. But responding to the release of the report, this is what Environment Minister Susan Lee had to say. Today the government is talking about what we are going to do, what we are pressing the green light on right here, right now, what we are ruling out and what we are going to have further consultations on. So based on the interim review, we will, as Graham has outlined, develop Commonwealth-led national environmental standards, which will underpin new bilateral agreements with state governments. We will commence discussions with willing states, and there's a couple that are probably knocking at the door already, to enter into agreements for single-touch approvals, which removes duplication and accredits state processes so that they can carry out environmental approvals and assessments on the Commonwealth's behalf under these rigorous Commonwealth-led national standards. Um, but at this point, we don't support additional layers of bureaucracy, such as an independent regulator, outside the system as it is. So essentially what the government wants to do is set up new national environment standards, hand control to the states for environment assessments, and not set up a new environment regulator. I asked Suzanne Nilthorpe what she thought about that. So a law is only ever as good as its enforcement. I mean, that's a basic premise of, of all laws. If you can have the best, um, best written law that you've got the greatest standards, but they're actually not really put into place in the real world, then, there's, then they don't work. Uh, and as you've noted, the government has put out a number of uh, things that they will do and they won't do. And, and one of the things, apart from saying they, they won't put into place an independent cop on the beat, is that they've said that they really want to hand over, rush to hand over their responsibilities to the states without actually fixing any of these fundamental problems like ensuring that the laws can be enforced by either themselves or the states, also without putting in place um, strong safeguards or standards that need to be put in, that need to be then actually put into place by the states. And so we're really in a situation where the government is saying, trust us to hand our environmental responsibilities over and we'll just fix those problems later. I asked Lydia Thorpe if she has concerns about the state governments being given more control over the approval process. Absolutely. The Japarong trees. Um, you know, this government, the, the Andrews government, uh, had made a decision to put the highway through, um, the Western Highway, and extend, extend that highway, which ultimately would have destroyed uh, birthing trees, 800-year-old trees. And if it wasn't for the, that trigger, 
to then go to the feds and, and seek protection of those trees, uh, we wouldn't have been able to hold them off as long as we have. So, you know, this has been going on for um, just on three years now, and we've held the Labor government off from destroying our, our trees. Um, so, yeah, it will give Daniel Andrews a green light to come through and take away what we've been preserving for, you know, 60,000 years. Uh, so it's when I heard the announcement, um, the government's announcement and, that, and, and knew of that report, the first thing that did come to my mind was my old people, in fact, and, and the fact that uh, the Labor government will now be given the green light to come and destroy our 800-year-old our trees. That was Victorian Green Senator Lydia Thorpe. And before that, you heard Suzanne Millthorpe, who's the Environment Laws campaigner at the Wilderness Society. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today, we're talking about the 10-year review into Australia's central environment law, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. Susan Lee has said she wants to introduce legislation by the end of August to bring in the new national environment standards. I asked Lydia Thorpe if she's worried about how quickly these new laws are coming in. Absolutely. I mean, who, who, who is the minister having these conversations with? Who is she consulting with? Clearly, they're, they're running with their own agenda. And I think that, you know, to give that kind of a time frame, then we, we kind of know what to expect from what is written up. To say mm. it will be the same old, same old, and um, it will be... To me, it will be a, you know, new laws around how how they can continue to, to destroy country. So, you know, shortening timeframes for approvals, uh, basically just making way for the mining companies to extract, as I said, as much as they can while they can. Here's what Suzanne Millthorpe had to say. I have really grave doubts that you can see strong standards agreed to and in place in a few months in a way that is robust and will actually achieve environmental outcomes. So the Samuel uh, interim report calls for the Commonwealth to adopt strong national environmental standards and makes the point very strongly that they should not be the lowest common denominator. And it is the best way to produce, to give everyone certainty. You know, here's the things you can do, here's the things that you can't do. So having strong standards is actually a really useful thing to have. But we've seen, for example, in New South Wales, uh, when they put through their new Biodiversity Conservation Act, that went through in 2016, and they're still using transition regulatory maps which is their kind of their version of this you know this is what you can't do this is where you can do things um, and that that bill went through in 2016 and those maps are still not finished they're still not finalized so I'm really uncertain that you can get something in place in this in this time and they really shouldn't until those considering handing over their powers to the states is based on the is premised on the fact that there'll be these strong standards in place it seems really cut before the horse to hand over the powers without actually fixing those problems at the standards and a big finding of the review as i said is the community doesn't trust 
our environment laws to deliver for the environment. So saying we're going to hand those responsibilities over and we'll fix the problem later really doesn't address the substance of the report. How long, I mean, because I imagine listeners might be thinking this is pretty urgent, you know, like we do need to, we do need to fix these laws quickly. How long would it take to, to draft these laws properly and do the proper consultation? Well, these laws have been failing both slowly and sometimes very quickly over the last 20 years. And so in some areas, we've got 20 years worth of failure to make up for 20 years worth of government inaction, 20 years worth of core enforcement, and 20 years worth of bad monitoring of data. Um, so some of it will actually take a decent amount of time, but there are things that you can do in the interim. So if you're going to put in safe, like uh, preliminary uh, standards and then use that as a basis to hand over to the states, what you really need to do is actually make those very, very, very strong. And then as you get more information later, then you can actually look at them and see how they're being implemented, see whether they, there's more risk or less risk involved, but you actually really need to make them strong in the first place. Uh, but things like having an independent watchdog, strengthening up compliance, actually enforcing the laws, making sure that's happening, making sure that the states are capable, either capable or even willing to enforce these standards um, and knowing what those strong standards will be. All of that, it, uh, people have been working on that for a very long time. So have, we've actually got quite a long, a, a strong list of what are the standards you would need to have to, to fix the environment. The question is, will the government put those in place? So while Susan Lee is moving to action one aspect of the report really quickly, I asked Suzanne Milthorpe which aspects she hasn't moved to do anything about. So there's a lot in the report about that issue of data and monitoring, which is the kind of unfun, unsexy part of the Act, but is really, really important because what it basically means is how do you know the actions you are taking are having a good impact not a bad impact? And how do you make that transparent and that information available to everyone so that they can then participate in decision-making or they can make plans for their community or make plans for their business in a way that's really open and transparent and based on uh, information that everyone has. There's also uh, community rights in there. Uh, so there is some initial com uh, conversation in the report about the need for things like merits review, which is the ability of communities to say, actually, government, you've taken the wrong decision here. And that's really important. We've seen that actually work really well in other countries where governments, for whatever reason, don't want to enforce their own laws and the community can actually stand up and say, hey, actually, we really think you need to because this is really important to us. So making sure you've got that full suite of community rights is so important for oversight. If the government's new laws succeed in speeding up the approval process for new development applications, I asked Suzanne which development applications might start going through faster. So there are a number of things that are on the table. The Prime Minister announced that they um, they had a list of, I think it was 15 priority projects that they were looking at, but it, it, it's unclear what could be... Um, brought up as a priority. So the governments are still announcing what they really want. At this stage, a lot, it's a lot of infrastructure. But if you do slash approval times, anything that comes under the Act could go through more quickly. And that can be anything from major dams, this current, uh, this current um, proposal to um, heighten the Warragamba Dam in New South Wales, which is the major catchment dam for um, Sydney's water supply. But Doing that would actually flood 
um, a whole bunch a whole bunch of uh, World Heritage Area and National Park. Uh, it could be anything from mega mines, mega gas projects. Uh, it could be, you know, if they were in fact enforcing the law, it could also be things like deforestation of um, threatened species habitat or critically endangered forests. But really, everything is on the table. I asked Lydia Thorpe what she thinks needs to happen now. Well, they need to be called out in Parliament. Um, we need to run some some campaigns. Um, we need to get as many people on board on those campaigns. And we need to put some pressure on the treaty processes that some of these Labor governments are um, you know, pursuing in Victoria and Queensland and the Northern Territory. If they want to talk about treaty, then it has to include the protection and preservation of our land and our waters uh, and everything that belongs to our land. So I think um, we need to put pressure in, in, in those areas. But, but also we need to give voice to First Nations people. Uh, there are people around this country that don't, get a voice. They don't get a say in what's going on on their country. They have corporations making decisions for them that they don't agree with and they need to be elevated. We need to go back to the, the custodians of these lands, uh, the ones who are actually putting their bodies on the line, and we need to support those First Nations people to have a say in what is going on on their country. And, you know, that's a call out to all the allies out there that um, sometimes that means you've got to, you've got to step aside uh, to allow that First Nations voice to, to go forward. Um, but we need to be supported to do that also because what we're dealing with as, as First Peoples of these lands is basic survival every day. So um, there needs to be all kinds of support given to allow those First those First Nations voices to be heard. Aboriginal people need to be part of the decision-making. This is our country, it's our land, it's our water. They're our totems, which are being um, destroyed and becoming extinct. Uh, so we need to be at the decision-making table. And, you know, the minister needs to talk to Aboriginal people about um, the the legislation that she's, you know, going to write up. We need to be part of the solution going forward. Uh, we've managed the, these lands and waters um, for, you know, over 60,000 years. We, we know it intimately. We are part of it. We don't separate ourselves from it. Uh, we are as one. We're not above uh, our land. and. Um, we need our voice heard in in any form of protection of our of our country. Suzanne Millthorpe says it's time for us all to get on the phone and call our local MPs. The the thing that gives me hope that is really really positive is we do know that Australians across the board really want to see their wildlife protected. They love nature. It's a really iconic part of our identity. What we've got at the moment is a bit of a mismatch between what governments are doing and, and um, what vested interests are calling for, as opposed to what 
what the community actually really wants is for our wildlife and our forests and those incredible places, our world heritage to have a future and to have a future under the growing impacts of climate change. And there's a real, <clears throat> there's a real hope and movement amongst the community to get this changed. And so that can be a real counterbalance against the power and the money and the influence of those vested interests when you actually have a community that's saying, no, 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 we don't want this. I actually really urge people to, <clears throat> to get in touch with their MPs. Uh, MPs, their job is there to represent you and your concerns. That is their job. Um, and the best way they can do that is that they hear your concerns. And if you really, if you're feeling strongly that you really want to see those safeguards in place and you, you just even want them to know, look, hey, slow down, let's get this fixed before we do anything, before we rush to make the system even worse. That's something that they need to hear from you and they'll take into account if they're hearing from you and you're a, a voter in their electorate. So I always really I always really encourage people just get in contact with their MPs, just also because it's sometimes interesting to have a chat with them. That was Suzanne Milthorpe, Environment Law Campaigner at the Wilderness Society. Before that, you heard from Victorian Green Senator Lydia Thorpe talking about the 10-year review into the Environment Protection Biodiversity and Conservation Act. In other environment news this week, huge swells on the New South Wales central coast have left homes at risk of collapse due to beach erosion. A study drawing on the work of more than 20 leading scientists has said 50 Australian species not currently listed as threatened could be at risk as a result of the devastating black summer bushfires. And a major global study has found sharks are functionally extinct at 20% of the world's coral reefs as a result of destructive and unsustainable fishing. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Elsie Kennedy. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. If you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, please rate us and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting this program out to you. Earth Matters is normally produced in the studios of 3CR, but at the moment, because we're in lockdown, it was produced from my cupboard on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters. Taking out the show today is the track The Black Ducks, People of the Mountain and the Sea by Desert P Media and students at Eden Marine High School. Generation all the way to right now Destination we've been waiting now we're wearing the crown First generation
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.